This is the Prison Care Podcast. I'm Sabrina Justison, your host, the founder and executive director of Prison Care Incorporated, where we are committed to equipping compassionate people to support positive prison culture from the outside, because everyone on the inside matters. Well, hey there. Welcome to this episode of the podcast. Want to play an imagination game with me? Come on, let's do it. All right. Imagine that you are at work, wherever that is. Whether you work in a building somewhere, or you work from your vehicle, or you work from a home office, or you work for someone else, or you work for yourself, or whatever you do, wherever you are. All right. You're at work. So how do new tasks arrive on your to-do list? Maybe you have a boss tells you what has to get done next, or maybe you open an email and your new task unfolds from there. Or maybe you get a phone call. Maybe your assistant brings you information. Maybe a new case arrives at the ER um, and you triage it, right? Maybe you get a text. Wherever we work, whatever type of work we do, there are new things being added to the list of assignments all the time, right? So, Sometimes we feel like it'll never let up. Sometimes it gets a little boring, a little stale, and we do the same thing too many times in a row. Sometimes the new assignment feels completely overwhelming. Sometimes we size it up, feel confident, and then something goes sideways, and it turns into way more than we bargained for. Okay, now, imagine that the newest assignment on your to-do list is a project that you know is going to take a lot of time and energy. You are likely to miss some family and friend events before this one is completed. Deep breath. It's important. So you count the cost, move forward. The new assignment is going to call for a lot of thinking on your feet, a lot of decision making. There will be very little margin for error. You will need to bring your A game. So you eat your Wheaties and you move forward. The new assignment is going to require you to work for people who have a reputation for being difficult, sometimes unethical. For you to maintain your personal integrity, you are going to have to sometimes stand firm and you're going to have to sometimes recognize where your ownership ends and accept a frustrating outcome because a higher up who's calling the shots did it poorly. Sigh, move forward. The new assignment is going to require you to collaborate with people you don't get to handpick. While you would love to assemble a team from the various skilled and pleasant people you know can do the work, you don't get to pick. It's a bit of a crapshoot, but hey, move forward. The new assignment will require you to provide care and services to a notoriously ungrateful and uncooperative population. They complain a lot. They say thank you rarely. They are typically poor at emotional regulation. They lack communication skills. Many are poorly educated. Many are uninterested in bettering themselves. Okay. Listen to a positive vibes playlist on your way to work so it doesn't get you down too bad. And move forward. The group that you will care for 
is not a room full of second graders. Although the public school teachers who are listening to this episode might well have thought that I was describing their new workplace assignment. No, the group you will care for is the inmate population of a prison because you are a correctional officer. Teachers have a really hard job, an increasingly unsupported job, an increasingly dangerous job, right? But even teachers are not having to care for and facilitate community for a population that includes human traffickers, rapists, child abusers, murderers, and an enormous percentage of these folks are chronically or profoundly mentally ill, but are not on their meds. I heard a story from a correctional officer recently, and it it really moved me. He said something like this. There was a high-profile case in our state, a guy who did really horrible things to a child and was caught. He went to trial. He was sentenced to decades in prison. And a friend who knew I worked in corrections said, man, I hope you get the chance to really let him see how disgusting what he did was. I hope he never forgets. He never has a moment to get comfortable. And I replied, no, that's not how it works. His loss of freedom is his punishment. What I will be doing is making sure he gets food each day and a chance to shower. I will deliver toilet paper and basic hygiene supplies to him if he's indigent and can't buy them for himself. I will be keeping him safe from other inmates. I will be asking him not to take his own life if he becomes suicidally depressed. I will be encouraging him to take advantage of the programming that might help him turn his life around. I will deliver his mail and be supervising any visits he has with family or friends who decide to stand by him and help him get his crap together. And I will probably have to help keep him safe from others who wear the same uniform as me, but who are lacking in personal integrity and who would like to abuse him while he's under our custody, him and everybody else like him on the tier. That profoundly captured, in a nutshell, the challenge facing corrections officers every day. And I would bet money that most of you never thought it through until just this moment. We applaud police officers, and rightly so, for finding and arresting the people in our communities who are harming others. We watch them book them, and we watch highlights from the trial on the local news, And when these guys are sentenced, we breathe a sigh of relief at justice done and a community protected. Now, the dangerous person will go away where he can't hurt anyone again. Except, he doesn't go away where he can never hurt anyone again. No such solution exists unless we decide to simply execute everyone convicted of that crime. No, he goes away to a new community one inside the razor wire. There are lots of people in that community as well, some of whom he might decide to hurt or who might hurt him. And he will reside in that community for years, decades, or even the rest of his life, alongside people who cannot choose to move out of his neighborhood if he decides to remain violent and abusive. And he won't be able to move away either if he manages to turn his life completely around, but is targeted as a victim by abusive people around him. See, sentencing is not the last chapter in the story. It's the first page of a whole new novel. The criminal is not removed from society. 
he is simply removed from free society, from our society on the outside. And now, he must be supervised by correction staff. But he must also be provided for. He must be helped when he's sick or hurt. He must be coached to make a new life for himself, one with an entirely different set of values. And COs, who often know exactly what heinous thing he did, must provide that custody, care, and control every day, every night, for years or decades or the rest of his life. Many correctional officers are facing on a daily basis what many of us would consider to be our worst assignment ever at work. It requires lots of time and energy. It keeps them away from friends and family. It calls for constant decision-making and discernment. It means working for administrators who are often out of touch, sometimes unethical, and sometimes even outright corrupt. It means working alongside other COs assigned to your shift and your tier who may be utterly inexperienced because of the staffing crisis in corrections in the U.S., who are certainly sleep-deprived, as are you, who have seen and experienced traumatic things within the last week, as have you, and who may have allowed their understandable cynicism to morph into cruelty or prejudice or violence in their work. It's going to require a huge amount of patience and courage in handling large groups of socially immature people with unresolved trauma of their own and poor communication skills who have learned that explosive words and flying fists are the best way to get things done their way. And it's going to call for compassion, vast amounts of compassion, if you are going to be able to do anything more than simply keep people from killing one another. If you're going to encourage that 20-year-old alumnus of the foster care system, the one who has lived in 13 homes since being taken from his addicted parent and placed in the system, Convincing him to go to classes, do his homework, and earn his GED before he is released in three years. If you're going to notice that a typically stable inmate lost his mother last week and has now stopped coming out of his cell, even for Chow, so maybe he needs some mental health intervention before his despair leads him to take his own life. And that's just the days when you're dealing with business as usual at work. That doesn't address how your worst assignment gets even worse, because mental health services weren't enough to stop the man who had just lost his mom. And by the time you find him, cut him down, and administer CPR, it's too late. You oversee the removal of the body from the cell, you steady your knees, you get back to the tier for the rest of your shift, and there are three clueless inmates just waiting to complain to you because the TV and the pod quit working, while you were trying to save a man's life a minute ago. Am I being overly dramatic? Ask some corrections professionals and see what they say. I'm pretty sure I'm telling it true. I recently heard this from another CEO who oversees the rec program, the gym, and the various events that are held there for residents with good behavior. He said something like this. I am so tired of taking the fall when I've been told for months by administration that we are going to offer a new piece of equipment or a new activity or program. I'm required by my bosses to make the preparations for it. That involves work from the inmates who report to me. So they end up knowing what's coming. Months of prep, they begin to really look forward to it. The word spreads and now everybody is just waiting for the new privilege. 
which is then nixed at the last minute because money got shifted to something else with no warning to us. And now the residents think that I'm the bad guy for lying to them, for telling them it was coming when it wasn't a sure thing. I didn't even tell them anything. I just assigned work I had to assign. They put the pieces together and figured out what we were prepping for and spread the word. But now the whole pod hates me because I'm a liar. Keep in mind, friends, this is not just a matter of feeling bad because people think poorly of you and blame you for something that was not your fault. It's a matter of safety. A hundred plus guys, many with a personal history of violence, living in a neighborhood that thinks with its fists more often than not. And these are not the community members that you want angry at you. One final element to consider. The CO who is being exposed to traumatic situations regularly in the course of a workday also finds it almost impossible to seek help in the wake of that trauma. Schedule counseling appointments. I mean, who wants their coworkers to know that they're not 100% or their boss? To schedule a simple doctor's appointment to get blood pressure medicine or antidepressant prescriptions renewed. There's no time for that with all the mandatory overtime they're working. So no help for the COs who need mental health support. But here we go. Those same COs, they're supposed to be on the lookout for mental health crises in the residents they supervise. Hmm. Or how about this truth? The CO who finds it practically impossible to maintain a healthy diet because of long shifts, the security screening that makes bringing healthy food from home impractical or even prohibited. This CO has to address the legitimate nutritional needs of the residents who are receiving inadequate or inedible food because of, I don't know, a staffing shortage in the kitchen or because the facility is on lockdown and they're trying to deliver meals to each cell for days on end. You guys, the list goes on and on. The concerns that advocates raise about the conditions inside a prison for the inmates who must live there are legitimate. I mean, we raise those very concerns here on the Prison Care Podcast, right? But those same concerns in a slightly altered form are concerns we need to raise about the condition inside a prison for the correctional officers who must work there. COs are held responsible for caring for the needs of prisoners while their own identical needs go unmet and unsupported by administration, by government budgets, by the rest of the world in general. Oh, this is not okay, friends. Last episode, we thought about the destructive power of a world in which you are defined by your worst moment for the rest of your life. No matter what changes you make, no matter what redemption you experience or rehabilitation you engage in. This episode, I'm asking you to think about the flip side of that idea. The destructive power of a work world in which you are living out your worst assignment imaginable, but no one notices what you endure. Doing the best job you possibly can still doesn't make a dent in the greater cause of the rehabilitation of criminals, and people who wear your uniform have a life expectancy that is 18 years shorter than the average life expectancy in the U.S. What if you woke up every morning to face your worst work assignment imaginable? What if people found out about it but didn't do anything to help? Okay, that's the part that I'm determined to stop, the ignorance and the apathy. Let's do this. Let's raise awareness about this prison neighborhood norm that is killing the COs who must oversee it. 
Let's stop ignoring what has been an invisible people group for too long. Let's take a good look at what the U.S. prison system truly is, and let's look hard enough that we can't unsee what we have seen. No more ignorance, no more apathy. Okay, so what can you do? Talk about it. Invite me over to talk to your friends about it. Information is coming soon here on the podcast and on the prisoncare.org website about how to book me for a house party to raise awareness. An 18-minute video is coming that will make it easy to start the conversation with people you know who have probably never thought about prisons much at all. And here's the other one, the big one. Stop picking sides. Oh, for Pete's sake, stop picking sides. You don't have to hate on COs to be an advocate for prison inmates. And you don't have to vilify people who are serving prison sentences in order to care for the very legitimate needs of corrections professionals. I recently heard an interview with a CO who said, I get it that the inmates need a lot more than they're getting. In some prisons, they need basic human needs met. But why do they have to get it first? Why can't the staff get what we need so we can better care for what the inmates need? If we're falling apart, how can we do our job to provide for them? But I also had a conversation with an incarcerated pen pal of mine who said, I get it that people on the outside don't care enough about prisoners to want to get involved and to make change possible. And I know that staff are suffering. I wouldn't be a part of prison care if I didn't see the truth of that. The staff's lives suck. But I just get tired of always coming in last. I am sure more people on the outside will care, will raise money, will form compassion teams if they're focused on helping staff. I get it. I just wish somebody cared as much about the inmates. Ugh. I care so deeply about both of these guys, and I hear their frustration. And I'm beginning to believe that the people occupying prison neighborhoods may literally be unable to see it through a nonpartisan lens. That may be too big an ask, but for us on the outside, for compassionate people who are learning what it's like inside the fence. I'm not sure there's any way to make real headway in prison reform if we do it in a partisan way. I'm becoming more and more convinced that the the prison care distinctive, the fact that we are truly nonpartisan and are saying that the culture in prison neighborhoods everywhere must be changed because it is destructive to everyone inside. The shared goals are the key. We must stop choosing sides and focus on the shared goals that prison inmates and correctional officers have. Goals like physical safety. Opportunities to live healthy lives physically, mentally, emotionally, and relationally. Support from an administration that is in touch with what life is actually like on the tier. And opportunities for personal growth meaningful work, and connection to other humans. Keep listening to the podcast. Keep talking to your friends about it. If you haven't left us a review yet, please do. A few stars and a few supportive words helps other listeners find us. Visit the prisoncare.org website and share your ideas with us via the Contact Us tab. Email me, sabrina at prisoncare.org. Tell me what you think we should be trying. Donate if donating money is your thing. Join the Facebook group and pitch your best ideas or your questions there. Volunteer to run a social media account for prison care if you're good at that sort of thing. 
Things are growing quickly over here and we could use some help moderating groups, creating posts, graphics, all that stuff. I'm I'm pretty good at vision casting, but SEO, graphic design, not so much. <laughs> and check your calendar, friends. Hit me up for a house party with a few of your cool friends. We'll have snacks. I'll cast a little vision. Y'all can take it from there. Let's change the world for the better, shall we?